Hi, everybody. Alan Arnett here with another podcast on the blog on alanarnett.com. It is Saturday, July 30th, 2022, and we're going to take a look at what's been going on in Pakistan's Karakoram Mountain Range as we end the season, as we look at ending the season. But there's still going to be a few more summits up this upcoming week, mainly by people that are seeking records that need to uh, nab all of the five 8,000-meter mountains in Pakistan this summer um, as they continue their quest to set records or to break records. And I'll cover that in a little more detail in just a second. So kind of stepping back, looking at the big picture, uh, it continues to be a, a pretty surprising year uh, on, in the Karakoram, mainly on K2. You know, it's really hard to get a count on how many total summits there has there been. I've got a, a request into the Pakistani tourism officials for an official number, but I've never been successful in getting it. So I'm not sure I'll get it this year either. And I really don't understand why. But nonetheless, uh, by my count, just counting all the expeditions and who's gone up and who's made the summit uh, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 summits. Now, remember that the Pakistani officials said they issued 475 permits. Now, that was for members and support. So in other words, mostly that's the Nepali Sherpas. And I don't think they issued any, um, they required uh, high altitude workers from Pakistan to have permits. But nonetheless, it's going to be somewhere in that 200 to 225 range of people that have summited this year. And it's going to be probably in the neighborhood of 60 to 65 percent being support uh, climbers uh, for the members that uh, that were there. So very consistent with what we've been seeing over in Nepal this previous spring on Everest for the past few years. So no big surprises in the you know in the kind of the new model that I've talked too much about recently with um, you know with how the climbing is taking place on these eight thousand meter mountains. But also you know I want to be clear that you know I don't care if you're climbing with one Sherpa or five Sherpas by your side. It's still up to you you to pick up your feet, you know, to move your Jumar along that line uh, and to try to get up to the top on your own speed. Now, the use of supplemental oxygen is something different. If you're doing it at two liters per minute, that's one thing. If you're doing it at six, that's an entirely different equation physiologically. You know, supplemental oxygen, it does not take you down to sea level. It's only about a 3,000 foot difference. Some people claim it's much more than that, and there's lots of studies out there. So I invite you to, you know, to Google it until the cows come home, and you can look at the scientific research and make your own um, conclusion. But the bottom line is that supplemental oxygen does keep your body warmer. It keeps your fingers and toes, your extremities from getting frostbite, and it does allow you to move faster. So there's definitely a benefit in using O's. And we saw the majority, I would guess, in the neighborhood of, you know, it's going to be in that 95% range of the climbers that summited this year you all use supplemental oxygen. So, um, you know, there's lots of people uh, that made it this past week. Uh, I think I talked about it being a, a sonic boom of summits. On July 22nd, there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 people that summited. Uh, and then the following days, we had different people, you know, other teams that came up. Some teams made the conscious decision not to go up with the main crowd on the 22nd, but put it off till the 
23rd, 24th. Those people that were not using supplemental oxygen, uh, they waited until really everybody had gone up and then they went ahead and made their attempts. Some really impressive climbs um, that did it without using supplemental oxygen. The majority of those that did were independent climbers on very small teams, um, like the Italians and the Polish group. There were six people all combined there between those two. There were just a couple on the commercial uh, groups, like with Seven Summits Trek or uh, with elite expeditions that climb not using supplemental oxygen. But by and large, the people who were able to climb without O's typically were not part of a big commercial team. And that, that's pretty consistent. Um, you know, also, there were a lot of people that claimed first. And if you go to my blog at alanarnett.com backslash blog, uh, you'll see today's post where I list all the various names. And those of you that know me, been following my blog, know I am terrible pronouncing all of these names. So I'm not even going to try. I'm going to invite you to go to the blog and just take a look at it. I'll put the URL up on the on the screen now. But basically, you know, you know where to find the find the uh, blog so you can read all of this. Also, I'd remind you that these podcasts are really just a once a week thing, which I'm not sure how long I'll keep going on. Um, but um, you know, I do the blog much more often than I do these podcasts. So we had a lot of uh, people that were uh, claiming first, primarily from their country. So the first person from like the UAE, the first Canadian Quebecer, uh, you know, to uh, to summit K2, and uh, you know, first Nepali females to summit uh, Nanga Parbat or Broad Peak. So a lot of very very impressive first by some people that uh, you know deserve all that credit. Um, you know, they were mostly climbing with the commercial team, so they were part of the large crowd. But um, you know that uh, it's a different style, but it doesn't take away from their accomplishment, in, in my opinion. You know, there is this race going on. We have a lot of people going to be the make um, certain records. Probably the one that's gotten most people's attention is Norwegian Kristen Harla. She's 36 years old, and she is trying to set the time to climb all 14 in the shortest possible time. So she has nine, and so that means she has five left. She's climbing with uh, two Sherpas, uh, Dawa and Pasad Dawa from 8K Expeditions. The three of them have climbed every single one of these peaks together. And so if they do get all 14, then all three will share in that accomplishment. Um, you know, they're trying to break the record uh, that was set by Nimrod Persia. He did it in 189 days and it's recognized by the Guinness World Book of Records. However, you know, as I discussed with Guy Cotter in a podcast last week, there's this controversy right now about if somebody did claim they summited all of the 8,000 meter mountains, then if they did not have some type of proof, a GPS track or uh, photographic evidence, then uh, there's a group out of 8,000ers.com that are really questioning those claims. And they're viewing that there's only three people that have actually summited all of them. Uh, and Nimrod, they are saying he did not summit it in six months, but rather it took him closer to five years. And again, I've got these links on the site and I invite you to read those articles. They're really well done uh, and they lay out the case. But the, 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 if uh, Kristen is going to try to break, you know, what is generally perceived as 189 days, I think it's six months, six days, something like that, 189 days, that she's going to need to get five more peaks by November 3rd, 2022. So she just got, um, she just got, um, 
K2, and now she's going to Broad Peak, and now she's headed over to the Gasher Brahms, and then she's got to go get um, Choi Yu, probably from the Nepal side, since uh, China is close to bet. And then the big unknown is whether that they can convince China to allow her to attempt Chishapanga the same way they did for Nimrod back in 2019 to make an exception. And I certainly hope they do. I hope they play, you know, fair between the two different climbers. Um, you know, it'd be really sad to see them not allow uh, Kristen to have the opportunity if she has 13 and only needs one more to go. Another uh, impressive person uh, that's out there just uh, really taking it to the top is uh, Adriana Bronley out of the UK, 21 years old. You know, can, can think about what she did at age 21. Well, this young lady, she now has, um, she has 10 of the 14 8,000ers, and she wants to be the youngest person to do it. Uh, and then also Pakistanis, and, and I, I, I apologize to you, uh, Shirozi Kasif, I, I probably butchered that, but he's 20 years old, and he's also trying to be the youngest to climb all. He's got nine of them, so he's got the, you know, G1, G2, Choyoyu, Shishapangma, and I believe Dalagiri is the ones that he does not have. So it's going to be tough for him to uh, to, to get ahead of uh, Adriana uh, if she's able to knock off these next two, um, the Gasher Bromps here over the next week. And I fully expect her to be trying that. Uh, Taiwanese Gracing, uh, she's 28 or 29 years old, and she wants to try to get all of them uh, and be the first Taiwanese female to summit all 14. But you know, one really stood out this week in kind of this 8,000 or Race. And that's Russian Polish Denis Ubarov. I mean, my gosh, he turned 49 while standing on the summit of K2. I know what it's like to celebrate your birthday on the summit of K2, and I couldn't be more happy for him. But what he did, which really breaks him out from practically every other person in the Karakoram this year, is not only did he summit K2, but he did it completely by himself. He said there was nobody else in the mountain above uh, Camp 4, and he did it without using supplemental oxygen, and he did it after doing this unbelievable speed climb up Broad Peak, and uh, last week getting Gasherbrom uh, 2. Uh, he also made a, 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 a uh, so an attempt on Broad Peak where he turned around because of uh, bad weather conditions. But this guy, 49 years old, and what he's trying to do is he wants to break the record set by Juanito Orozalbal. <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, to uh, get all uh, 20, he wants to get all, he, uh, he wants to get 27 of the 8,000, he wants to get 27 8,000 meter mountains, obviously with the repeats, without using supplemental oxygen. I, you know, just climbing one 8,000-meter mountain is, is impressive in and of itself. And uh, Dennis has 26, and he'll probably get his 27th, which will be G2 this upcoming week. And But the style and the manner in which he's climbing this is just, I mean, uh, it is just impressive. And, you know, when we look at all of the criticism that's happening with kind of this new formula climbing um, of the of the people that we're seeing trying to break records, it's really refreshing to see the old school kind of having a, a an old guard. And, I, you know, 49, I guess, is old in the world of climbing. But, um, you know, to see him do this is just absolutely impressive. And I wish him luck to, you know, not only get this one, but to continue his impressive um, career climbing. Also, I mean, the Sherpas are having a great year. Uh, Sanu Sherpa, he got his 28th um, of the uh, the 8,000ers. So uh, he says he's now climbed every uh, one of the 14 8,000 meters twice. So nobody else has done that. Uh, Pasad Sherpa, um, she got her, um, uh, he, when he set up a speed, 
he set a, a multiple summit speed record. So in other words, he got five eight thousanders in the shortest amount of time, which is pretty impressive. Ming Majib got his fourth summit up on the top of, uh, of K2, uh, which is also very impressive. I don't think, I think uh, Garrett Madison has maybe four as well. Maybe there's a, a Pakistani climber or two that's in that three, four, five range, but there's only a handful of people on this planet that has summited K2 more than uh, three, four times. Uh, speed records. I talked about Dennis and his speed record over on uh, Broad Peak. He did it in 14 hours from base camp to the summit in 14 hours. But then Benjamin Verdines did it in seven hours. I, I just can't imagine those speeds. And they did it without using supplemental oxygen. Their cardiovascular system, their VO2 max must be off the chart. Speaking of off the chart, two Sherpas uh, sharing, um, sharing and... Um, Mingma David Sherpa, they want to have a little fun to see how fast they could make it to the top of K2. Uh, <laughs> so Shearing made it in 12 hours from base camp up to the summit in 12 hours. And Mingma David did it in 14 hours. Um, Shearing did the whole round trip in 20 hours and 18 minutes. You know, most of the time is three, four, five days to do this. And these gentlemen did it in, in you know, in 20 hours, 14 hours. I, I, you know, it's just, it's just incredible. The strength of these men just, just, just absolutely amazing. So, you know, lots of impressive physical feats we're seeing this year on the mountains, in addition just to the raw numbers of people. Um, sadly, we have seen some deaths, but there's been four thus far. This past week, we saw two deaths on K2, Canadian Richard Cartier and Australian Matt Eakin. Uh, they were both with a small team uh, and something happened as they were descending and they both, one was found near uh, the Japanese camp between camp one and advanced base camp, and the other was found near uh, advanced base camp. That's a pretty steep slope right there. And if the snow is sloshy or if it's hard packed ice and you're not clipped into the fixed rope, it's very easy to lose your balance, to lose your purchase. And once you start uh, slipping down that slope, very difficult to self-arrest. There's been multiple people that have died in this manner. Uh, also, previously this year, Afghan climber Ali Akbar Sakim, he died on altitude sickness near Camp 3 on K2. And on Broad Peak, Pakistani climber Sharif Sadapara, he died and when he fell through a soft spot on the cornice uh, on the summit ridge on Broad Peak. Just tragic all four of these deaths. My heart got out to their, their family. Um, you know, these are all these are all very good climbers. They were not novices. And it just goes to show you that uh, K2 is just, um, you know, and these mountains, all these 8,000 meter mountains, you know, the risk of death is real. And uh, I hope that people are not seduced this year by how many people have summited, especially K2, and using words like, uh, you know, the K2 has been tamed, um, you know, or that anybody now can climb it. The fact of the matter is that this year, I think the secret of success was twofold. One, I think that the commercial operators from the Western to the Sherpas, they did an excellent job of organizing and providing support for their, for their members. And also, more importantly, is that the weather this year has just been phenomenal. There was 
was one week of kind of poor weather that locked everybody down at base camp. But for the past 10 days or so, yeah, there's been a couple of days here and there where the wind spiked. But in general, it's been a pretty good uh, last um, period of, of good weather on K2. And if you've got good weather on all these mountains and you've got a good team, good support, good logistics, then most of these mountains are achievable. Uh, but, you know, you just cannot predict the weather or predict the snow conditions or how your body performs. So there's still a lot of unknowns here. And, uh, you know, while I'm thrilled to death to see such success in the mountain, uh, especially measured by this, um, the summit to death ratio, um, I just, I'm just hoping that people don't read into the season that climbing these 8,000 meters is analogous to climbing the seven summits or trying to get all 14 of our you know, Colorado, uh, or I'm sorry, all 58 of our Colorado 14,000 foot mountains or all, you know, 44,000 foot mountains in uh, the whites up in New Hampshire or getting all the highest in the Alps. You know, this peak bagging and the list stuff, uh, you know, I think it's wonderful because it gives you a, a target to do. But also, each one of those lists come with their own dangers. And the more people that do it, I think there's a danger of seducing everybody else into saying that, oh, well, if they did it, so can I. You know, just, you know, really be smart about how you approach these goals. But, you know, if you get a chance to go climb these mountains and uh, you can do it and you're experienced, uh, you are self-sufficient and you've earned the right to go, not paid the right to go, but earned the right through climbing other mountains, then I say, you know, go for it and just follow leave no trace principles and have a climb of your lifetime and just uh, enjoy it. You know, mountain climbing is something that I think uh, offers a very unique uh, sense of satisfaction in this world today. Uh, it tests you mentally, physically, emotionally, and, um, you know, it's, it's a great sense of satisfaction. For me, I always felt satisfied when I came home either with or without the summit. You know, on my three attempts on Everest, I came home. Yeah, it stung a little bit, but then slowly I got over it and I finally made it on my fourth attempt. And oh my gosh, making K2 on my first attempt. Uh, I came home with a deep sense of satisfaction and uh, I don't even know how I can put that into words and express it to other people, but uh, it's real. So I hope everybody gets a chance to get out there and, um, you know, and, and follow their own dreams, whether it's learning a foreign language, uh, getting your kids through high school, uh, you know, uh, finding that that perfect partner in your life or learning how to drive a stick shift. Whatever your dream is, get out there and make it happen. All right. Climb on. This is Alan. And remember, memories are everything.